Welcome to Bible study. It's very good to have you with us today and happy to be able to share again from God's Word. This is Nick Krita, your host, and um, our panel for today, and I will start with uh, Will. Will, it's so good to have you with us, even though technology sometimes gives us a bit of a headache, but uh, you are in with us via Zoom. Thank you. Thank you. My head will remain straight, I hope. It's good to have you, Will. Len, it's uh, our facilitator today, and I would like to welcome you because you were missed for a couple of weeks, and that's what I'd like to welcome you right at the beginning, if possible. Well, thank you, Nick. Sadly, we had to go away on holidays for a while, and that was disappointing, but... Oh, we feel so sorry for you. Oh, yes. <laughs> good to have you back, uh, Len. Hey, Brenton, good to join us also from Mount Gambier again. Look forward to it, um, Nick. And Helen, on the other side of the city, Helen, uh, good to have you with us. Thank you, Nick. It's a delight to be here. love studying the scriptures. It's also good to have Lija with us today. Thank you, Lija, for joining. I feel very blessed to study God's Word. Thank you. For a period of time now, we are looking into this uh, subject of uh, making friends for God. And uh, we learn lots of things, how to behave, how to share, and... Um, do all those things, and, and today is not an exception. We are going to learn an exciting way to get involved. And uh, Len, as I mentioned earlier, you are facilitating this Bible study, and I would like to just pass it over to you now and take us through, please. Well, hello, listeners. It's great to be back, and I'm glad you've tuned in to join in with this Bible study. We're going to be talking about getting involved today. But I want to make some introductory comments first. You know, one of the problems of modern society is isolation. Society today is much more individualistic than a few decades ago due to technology and fear of molestation and in this particular time because of the COVID-19 virus restrictions. Years ago, some of us as children were able to play in public places with our friends without any fear of predators. We walked or rode our bikes to school. No worries. Many more women stayed at home then, whereas now women are heavily involved in the workforce. Today, less people than ever per capita are involved in group activities and therefore less people have any group support. I don't know if you've seen the film Crocodile Dundee 1, but in that film, Linda's American fiancé needed regular psychiatric counselling. When Mick Dundee heard of that, he asked, hadn't he got any mates? We need support of others. And that also applies in a spiritual sense. Witnessing goes better when there is group support. And today we will be considering sharing the good news of salvation and small group support. But before we actually get into this study, we would like to pray with you uh, that God will lead us as a panel and lead you as listeners to commit yourself to him. So Helen's going to pray for us. 
Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, Lord, it is with delight we come before you right now. We want to thank you for your blessings. We want to thank you for your written word. We want to thank you for the Holy Spirit to give us discernment. And as we open your word, may it be the words from you that we hear, not our own opinions. Lord, I just thank you for the listener that's tuned in right now. I pray that you will bless each one in a mighty, mighty way. Father, help us to see the salvation through the study today and help us to be encouragers and to learn how to encourage people, especially as we're talking about small groups. Father, we just want to leave ourselves in your care right now to bring honour and glory and praise to you alone, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Helen. Well, now, Brenton, how would you like to kick things off? And I would ask you this question. It's about God. From the account of creation, God speaks about the creation of man. In Genesis 1.26, where God speaks about this, there are some particular pronouns used. Would you like to read that verse and then tell us what those pronouns are? Certainly. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. What we find here, Len, is an indication of what we know today as the Godhead, our Father, Son and Holy Spirit, because the the personal pronouns used are us, our and ours. Now, what's particularly interesting about this is that what God is saying here is very different from the other days of creation and the way he describes it, such as let there be light, let the waters bring forth um, fish, let there be creatures on the earth, let there be vegetation. Here it becomes very personal. And we find uh, in that that um, we can go back to Genesis 1, 1 and 2, where it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the the waters. I think what um, Moses, who wrote the book of Genesis, is trying to say here is that the Godhead was very particular in saying that man, that's male and female, would be made in the exact image and likeness of God, which gives us the power of choice, it gives us moral decision-making, It gives us certain things that animals do not have, and that sets us apart from the animals. We were made in God's image, and what the whole plan of redemption is about, Len, is the restoration of God's image in man. Yes. Now, it's very interesting that God said, let us make man after our image, after our likeness. Now, of course, it's not just as you very aptly um, mentioned there, Brenton, it's not just looks, but it's in the character and various other things. And we could go into that, but that's something I would like to leave at the moment. But the point is, God speaks of himself as plural. Yes. And in Genesis it says God, and then it says the Spirit of God. But also in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, and John chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and also Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, 
it mentions a third identity involved in creation. Nick, would you read the relevant text and just identify who that identity is? Yes, uh, that's in um, Hebrew chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, which says this, God various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in this last day spoken to us by his son, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Okay, so this is talking about the creation of the world, and we've been highlighting on the creation of man. So it identifies God the Father, identifies God the Holy Spirit, and the Bible also identifies Jesus as also being involved in creation. Now, some people have a lot of trouble with this concept because many people regard as God in a monotheistic way. In other words, that there is only a single identity we can call God. And yet it seems from what we've just been uh, reading that God is a team. Mm. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created in creation together or participated in creation together. They each had different tasks but worked together in an indivisible union. Do you have any comments on this panel? Can I suggest on on this, Len, that um, probably... When we run in some sort of uh, disagreements and, uh, you know, different opinion in regard to the Godhead is, uh, as you just pointed out, because we think, oh, there is only one God. Why? And many people will use this expression, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I believe a little bit different that God is, you know, God, Son, Father, and Holy Spirit. And I'm explaining this a little bit in this way. When we call God, you have these three persons united, united, working together. And um, I think I uh, mentioned this some other times, but I will just quickly um, say it again. For my understanding, I always imagine the triangle. And when the triangle is, you know, sides united, you can call it triangle, but if you dismantle that, you cannot call it triangle anymore. If you separate it, you know, like you, you may say one side, the other side, and so on, but when you connect it together, it's God. That's how I, I believe that will simplify our understanding of God. And in the end, we cannot understand God fully. And that's, uh, that's another thing which uh, we can maybe mention another time. Yeah, I like your illustration, Nick. The Apostle Paul says that we see things as in a glass darkly. Mm. And what you say, we don't understand God fully. Well, I totally agree with that. We know just enough, but it's not very much. There are a lot of details we don't yet know, and we're yet to find out, I believe. Any other comments on that statement there, panel? All right, let's move on. Will? Well, I'd like to comment on the um, the partnership of the Holy Spirit 
and the Father and the Son working together, participating in creation. I think that uh, we need to learn as human beings a lesson of working together. There is that old adage which says, many hands make light work. Teamwork, cooperation is the only way that the gospel will be spread throughout the world. I think of a text in Ecclesiastes, uh, chapter 4, verses 9 to 12, which says, Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then the wise man says, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Working together in the proclamation of the gospel and uh, reaching people is a team effort. And I think that we, we this is just uh, vague to us if we look at uh, God working with the Holy Spirit, Father and Son and so on. Um, the little that we can learn for our, from our understanding of the Father is that we too can cooperate to do great things together. Hello? I could comment too on that um, proverb, many hands make light work. Um, to me, when I thought about it, I thought people can do more things quickly and easier <clears throat> when they do work together. And I was curious to go back and find out the origin of that statement and it was interesting that it came up with, it is common knowledge that in face of adversity, in order to be able to protect the vulnerable people, joined forces in a similar manner when hands are seen covering the flame of a candle, when the wind is high, it makes light work and it was protecting it. They did it through it. So it was a, a form of coming together for a cause and, um, you know, wanting to protect someone or to share to unite in face of adversity. You know, it was back in England in 1300 that that actually first came in, into play. And, um, you know, really seriously, when we think of it in a scriptural sense, more workers <clears throat> will help to complete a task sooner. In other words, the more workers that we have um, and we're out in the field, the work will be finished a lot, a lot sooner. I just thought that uh, we are going to talk about, you know, the benefits of uh, groups and united in, in a small group. While I'm thinking of this, I still want to go back to the Godhead because uh, we, are, yeah, we are talking about that, you know, there are three persons in, in the Godhead. Now, I want to mention this time, there was not any vulnerability there. They were in a small group, not because they needed... Uh, each other, they're vulnerable. They want to be united, to be more powerful. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, but to learn from that is that God give us an example how we can be even more uh, equipped or successful if we, we are united in a group. And, and God is speaking about the Godhead, as you just mentioned previously in those passages. I just thought to mention that because, yeah, it can be, people can have an idea saying, okay, then God was not able to do it in one person, had to do it in three persons or something like that. 
I uh, can imagine some of our listeners are saying to themselves, what about that old saying, too many cooks spoil the broth? (laughs) Well, uh, we are actually talking about small groups, not over large groups. And the Godhead gives us an example of working together in creation. Brenton, it's, uh, I know you've been wanting to say something here. Uh, just a quick comment, uh, Len, uh, regarding the little we know about the Godhead. The Bible, um, if you ask anybody uh, what is God described as being in the Bible, God is described as being love. Now, in order for love to be expressed, there has to be someone to express it to. And uh, the monotheistic concept that you mentioned earlier on prevents that. Uh, the, the love between the Godhead, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, right on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, there's evidence all along the line of the closeness of the Godhead in the plan of salvation. And I believe in order for love to be expressed, both uh, divinely, but also to be translated into how God wants us to love one another, it doesn't work in a monotheistic uh, vacuum. In other words, love needs to be expressed between at least two people. Yes, I agree. Uh, Unless there's somebody to receive the love, you don't really know if if it is love. Yes. Well, we've uh, heard about God working, or the Trinity working as a team in creation. What about in the uh, business of salvation of man and the resurrection of Christ, Brenton? Uh, Just quickly it says, but if the Spirit, this is a reading from Romans 8 verse 11, but if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's interesting that uh, in, in a very well-known book known as The Desire of Ages, a comment is made that an angel came down from heaven at the resurrection and said, Son of God, your father calls you. And uh, here again you find a duality of um, people involved. Uh, Christ rose from the dead uh, when his father called him to do so. And I think that that is really, really encouraging for us because without the resurrection, Paul says that as Christians we have no hope. So the resurrection is based on more than one person being involved in the resurrection process. And I think that that's important as we talk to people in 2020, particularly with the loneliness, Len, that is now becoming attached to COVID-19. I was only reading about it last night and again this morning. Uh, the mental health breakdowns in Victoria, not only in Victoria, but in other parts of Australia. Loneliness is becoming almost endemic. And um, it's important, I think, this lesson, not only for us to to work together, but I think it's important for us to realise that we need one another. And uh, this pandemic is preventing that. And it's alienating people from one another. And that's one of the very bad downsides that we have of this particular pandemic. Yes, I don't know if anybody's experienced utter loneliness. I have for a short period of time when I was working way up back and uh, you just need some human company. I remember on this occasion uh, I was by myself 
And there were a couple of guys uh, I knew, kind of, didn't know them well, and I just had to go and talk to somebody. It turns out they were half drunk anyhow, and I didn't talk there very long. <laughs> but, you know, when God made man, he made a family. He made man and woman, and they would have children. So here you have, if you like, a small family group. Now, there is one other verse I'd like us to look at which supports this business of the Godhead being a team. Ledger, would you read Matthew 28, 19 and just comment on that if you're able? Yes, Jesus imparted uh, the Great Commission to to his disciples and uh, he says to them in uh, Matthew 28, 19, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So this is the Great Commission, and they work together in a team. And uh, because he had the authority given by the Father to him, now he's entrusting, he authorized them yeah. to, to preach the gospel and entrust this gospel ministry to, to humans, to his disciples, which they worked also in a team over there. That's right. Jesus said, all authority is given to me, so the authority of the Father is passed on through the Son, and through the Holy Spirit too. All right. You know, the Bible provides numerous examples of small groups praying, fellowshipping, and encouraging one another and laboring together for Christ. These groups give God's people the opportunity to share the responsibilities and fully utilize their very gifts. And we'll talk a bit more about that later on. A family, of course, is a small group that functions well when each member does his or her part. And in my experience as a school teacher for over 30 years, I know how difficult it is for parents and their children when one parent is absent. And this is a big problem in our society these days. So let's have a look at some of these groups uh, mentioned in Scripture and how they functioned, and how they functioned better as groups rather than individuals. Would you like to share about Moses, please, Will? Yes, in Exodus 18, we have the interesting uh, scenario where Moses, absolutely overworked, was trying to reach all the people, solving their problems, doing administrative and um, other counselling, and uh, he was wearing himself out. His father-in-law, Jethro, came to him and asked the question, what is this thing that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand before you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a difficulty, they come to me, and I judge between the one and the other. I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. So Moses' father-in-law says to him, the thing that you are doing is not good. Both you and these people 
who are with you will surely wear yourselves out, for this thing is too much for you. You are not able to perform it by yourself. And the good counsel that Jethro gives him is share it. Share it out amongst uh, several capable leaders that you choose. And uh, chapter 18, Exodus 18, verses 24 to 26, gives the wonderful outcome. Moses listened to his father-in-law, did everything that he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of people, officials over thousands, hundreds and fifties and tens, and they served as judges for the people at all times. And the difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Group work, delegation, the very key of success in administrative um, work and also the proclamation of the gospel. I think that's, that's a great comment and taking that text as well. You know, when I thought about that, every, every individual of the camp, everyone became a part of a group of 10. You know, there wasn't anybody left out. And that to me was important. It was led by a godly official. And, you know, small groups, I believe, are a place for problem solving. But they can be much more than that. They can be a place of fellowship where problems could be prevented and spiritual life nurtured. They're places of vision where God's plans for Israel could be shared. You know, in groups like this, people could form tight and caring relationships that could help all involved work through whatever the issues were that they were facing. There's a bonding in a small group and people don't feel quite so threatened when it's a smaller group. Well, there's no question really is there as well as now people struggle with things that others could help them with and small groups, they provide opportunities for this warm, caring fellowship, spiritual growth problem solving fascinating that small group specialists tell us that the ideal size for group interaction is between six and 12 people in teaching i used to like having um eight uh, eight to ten was the group that i thought was a great side it's it's the exact size that both moses and jesus employed in forming their groups i think there's a great example here for us then mm. yes that's that's right um len billy graham was asked one day If he would start off ministry again, right from the beginning, start all over, knowing what he knows today, what would he do? I love his answer. He said, I think one of the first things I would do would be to get a small group of eight or 10 or 12 people around me that would meet and pay the price, as he called it. I would, uh, it would cost them something in time and effort. And I would share with them everything I know over a period of years. Then I would actually have 12 ministers who in turn could take 8 or 10 or 12 more and teach them. He says it will revolutionize the church. And then he comments, Christ, I think, set the pattern. He he spent most of his time with 12 men. He didn't spend it with a great crowd. The great results, it seems to me, came in this personal interview and in the time he spent with his 12. Wow, powerful philosophy. And it's the very, at the very core of the way that Jesus worked. And it's, the, it's a valuable lesson for people wanting to proclaim the gospel today. Yes, Brendan. 
Interestingly enough, and it's not included in um, what we've been reading so far, when the Jews came back from captivity, that is when the period of the synagogue came into being. The synagogue comprises 10 men plus a leader. It's interesting that um, Moses' directions from his father-in-law, when you broke it down, you had a leader in charge of a 1,000, a leader in charge of a 100, and a leader, leader in charge of 10. It seems as though even after the, after the exile and the return to Jerusalem, the Jews had not forgotten this. When Christ came to the earth, there were many synagogues around the place. In other words, you needed a minimum of 10 people plus a leader. So uh, the small group concept, Len, has been around for a very, very long time. Yes, Will already uh, mentioned a little bit about Christ, but let's just go back a second. Lydia, in Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 19, it talks about how Jesus organised his mission here on earth. Would you like to share that with us? Jesus has set us an an example, and uh, we observe in these chapters, um, Mark Chapter 3, starting with verse 13 to 19, it, Jesus appointed 12 disciples. He named them disciples and designated them to be apostles they, that they might be with him and uh, he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So all these 12 apostles were Simon, Peter, uh, James, John, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, Tadeus, Simon, and Judas. It's very interesting that Jesus appointed these people in, in the number of 12 to prepare them spiritually and practically for their mission to the world. So these 12, they went and they stayed with him most of the time. Uh, in fellowship, um, they would grow in grace, they will learn from him to minister effectively, and day by day, as they observe Jesus ministering to the needs of the people around him, they will learn by observation how to use their gifts. And this was Jesus' purpose of small groups that uh, to, to nurture them spiritually and after that um, go into the outreach of others mm. to help others. Yes, it's um, very important because trying to carry the load by yourself, as was uh, shown by Moses, is too much. You get burnout. Mm. But when you're with a group, you have comfort and encouragement. If you're just with somebody who is on your wavelength, I know the disciples were bits of novices but they were there also to comfort and encourage. Brenton. Yeah, just quickly, Len, something I've found on this that really excites me. Again, I'm referring back to the book of Zohar of Ages. When Jesus sent out his disciples, it says that he sent them out brother with brother and friend with friend to support and encourage one another. Let me just read quickly to back up what Lydia has said. I'm reading from Matthew 10, verse 2. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. Note this. First Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. 
Philip and Bartholomew. Another name for Bartholomew was Nathaniel. We know that Philip and Nathaniel were friends. Thomas and Matthew were friends. James, the son of Alphaeus, and so on. The Bible backs up the fact that Christ didn't send out his 12 disciples ad hoc. He sent out those who were brothers and those who were friends. They went out two by two because they were able to encourage one another and one's weaknesses were supplemented by another's strengths and vice versa. Yes, thank you very much. Now, I know we've uh, touched on little bits and pieces of this, but Helen, why do you think a small group is more effective than someone working all by themselves? Well, I think for a start, God is is just absolutely amazing. He's completely involved in in giving and, and using and empowering us with gifts. And I believe that it works very effective. If we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7, I'm going to read if that's okay. It says there are different, different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And I believe that comes out more in a small group, especially if we are focusing on um, discovering what our service contribution can be and then making it available to God. You know, we need to really make serving God and his people our motive as we utilise the gifts that he's given us. And in a small group, those gifts will come out more than in a large group. Yeah, It's interesting, uh, Len, uh, one of the downsides to being solo is that it's easy to get discouraged uh, when we function alone. But when we are part of a small group of people with similar goals, we find that our efforts are much better focused and greatly magnified. So obviously small groups are the best environment in which for these things to grow, Len. What, what's interesting <laughs> is if you're solo and uh, trying to do things by yourself, other people can see uh, the efforts of your labours perhaps from a different perspective. They can give encouragement. They can give, I'll call it constructive criticism if necessary, but they can help you because as human beings we are sometimes blind to some of the areas where we think we're going along really well and other people can see that we actually need help in those areas. And I think small group ministry provides not only focus, but also provides us from be, uh, being able to um, recognise that others have input and if we are willing to listen and we are humble enough, that can in- involve I- improving us as individuals and it, overall it can involve improving the group so that the group becomes more effective in witness for Jesus. So there's wisdom in the saying two heads are better than one. Yes, and three heads are better than two, and so on, ad infinitum, well, up to a limit. Nick, you wanted to say something quickly. I was just going to say that um, looking at this format of small groups, now we live in a time right now when uh, the trend is like mega churches. You know, people are drawn to big crowds and um, all those things. What I believe and what the Bible is proven to to have the best, uh, of um, of advice is when you are breaking down in those small groups because when you are uh, following big crowds and gatherings, 
you know, accountability, responsibility is missed. And you can also be easily manipulated. And in my opinion, why Jesus choose 12 disciples, first of all, is because of 12 represented also the 12 tribes of Israel, which is inclusive, you know, all, and he chose also people from different backgrounds. There were fishermen there, there were, um, you know, uh, tax collectors, there were um, educated people there. I mean, I will even mention uh, some of the people there in the, in the in the group, to represent all needs. When you break down in, in small groups, then you can address the different needs. And most of all, as you see that we are trying to, to understand here, that through the small groups is not necessarily just to focus on what you need, but what you can give, what you can give out. Okay. How can you work together to be more effective in giving, in sharing, in be successful in reaching out to other people. I believe this is uh, very uh, wise to be able to be involved in small groups and put your talents and your strengths together for the advancement of God's kingdom. All right. Well, the Apostle Paul actually expands on that in First uh, Corinthians 12, a little further on from where Helen read, in talking about one body, many parts. And this applies very much to the subject we're talking about today. Will, would you just like to explain this a little for us? Yes, I think that a person that is part of a large body of believers can quite easily look around and feel, in, well, infinitely small. He can feel incapable of taking part and wonder how could my little contribution make a difference but, you know, by forming little groups together, banding together according to your, your uh, talents and your uh, gifts, it uh, is the absolute answer. Paul actually makes the comparison. Uh, he says that the body of Christ is one but has many members. And he <clears throat> goes on to say that the foot can't say to the hand, um, I don't need you, so also the eye. I can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. There should be no uh, diversion or a schism in the body itself, but that all the members should have the same care for one another. I think working together according to the gifts that God has given you, within small groups, you're able to expand the work of the, of the Lord. Uh, mm-hmm. May I just yeah. comment quickly, the parts of the body work together. The eyes and the ears do not serve only themselves, but the whole body. The hands do not uh, not only feed and defend themselves, but they defend the whole body. The heart does not only supply blood to itself, but serves the whole body. Uh, sometimes, I read recently, there is a part of our body that only lives to its serve itself. It doesn't contribute anything to the rest of the body, and uh, everything it gets it uses to feed and grow itself. This we call cancer. Mm. Yes. 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 <laughs> Good point, Will. Uh, Ellen? Um, you know that I'm involved in the health work, and when I look at this whole structure of the body, I, 
I think Paul was very wise in and guided by the Holy Spirit to actually um, liken it to the, the body. You know, when you think of it, every member of the body does not function independently, every part of our body. The human body is made up of 11 different systems vital to the effective working and functioning of the entire body. You know, for example, the digestive system, the circulatory system, the nervous system and the respiratory system. And, you know, I think, well, if you picture, for example, the respiratory system as a small group with different members providing oxygen to the cells, that would include the nose, the mouth, the larynx, the trachea and the bronchi. The respiratory system brings life through its air passages to the entire body. You know, so I, through that, I can actually begin to understand why the Holy Spirit impressed the Apostle Paul to use the body as an illustration of the church. That's only one example of the 11 systems. God has designed us in such a manner to give us an example of small groups working together, and it's here in our own body. Good point. Now, the next question might seem like a silly question, but I think it's a very important question. I'd like you to answer this one for us, Nick. Does God give any one person all the spiritual gifts? All right, then uh, you said a bit of a silly question, you know, uh, and um, I may have a, a bit of a curly answer here also. Now, definitely I believe God uh, is not uh, giving one person all gifts. But saying that, I would like to mention here that too often we may put ourselves in a position of saying, but I don't have that gift. You know, I don't have the other and the other and excusing ourselves of doing God's will. Now, what I believe, God give us gifts, and we are, how to say, strong on those ones which God appointed us to do. But we are not to be neglectful of some other gifts. And I would like to mention here uh, something, that's what I said a bit, maybe curly. You know, as we mentioned that uh, the leg cannot say, uh, I do the work of the whatever, hand or the eye or all other members of the body. But do you know that if one of those members suffers, let's say your hand may be incapacitated, do you know that you can use maybe even your mouth or your leg, some people, to write some things? You can still help each other. You can still put at work some of the gifts. What I believe God will equip us with various things, but most of all, you should see and develop where, are you, where you are strong. But don't be neglectful if you are called to help in other areas. Yes, it's a well-known fact that different people can relate to different people. For example, not everybody is going to like me because I may not have the same interests as they do. Mm. But some, somebody else, maybe one of you panel members, could relate better to, to another person. Helen would be better relating to, say, a woman than what I would, and so on. Helen, you can speak. Yeah, I just reminded of a statement that um, Ellen White said, there is no limit to the one who's setting self aside, makes room for the working of the Holy Spirit in his or life, his or her life used for the consecration of God. So, you know, God gives us all a gift, a gift of faith, 
when we come to him. But I believe that we may think we can't do something, but if we set ourselves aside and allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, it is amazing what he will do in our life and give us extra gifts. Yes, I don't deny that. I agree with what you say, but I still think it applies that different people um, relate to different people. Small group ministry is, notice this, ordained by God to enable each church member to grow spiritually and to experience warm fellowship and to be able to utilise his or her God-given gifts in service. When you read the book of Acts, you become aware of the rapid growth of the New Testament that's the apostolic church. One of the contributing factors for that phenomenal growth was what we're talking about today, the small group organisational structure. And we come across this in Acts 18, verses 1 to 5. Brenton, would you like to share on that one? Certainly. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked. For by occupation, they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. What were they doing? They were making tents. It's interesting, Len, that in uh, the culture of the time, tent making was considered on a very high level. If you were a tent maker, you were uh, up from a tanner, a sheep herder, uh, a pottery maker, It was considered to be a fairly uh, lofty uh, profession, if you will. Uh, The reason he's working with these people is not only did they share common interests, I believe that they were a great deal of encouragement to Paul in his ministry. You find him mentioning Aquila and Priscilla on a number of occasions. And, of course, um, what were they doing? They were preaching uh, the gospel in the synagogues each Sabbath. But it seems that when Silas and Timothy finally arrived, Uh, the Holy Spirit really impelled him then to present to them uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So what you've got here is a combination of people, uh, at least four assistants for Paul, who are encouraging him in his work of presenting the gospel. Today, we all have an opportunity to share in the spreading of the gospel. Not all of us might be preachers, but we can be encouragers. We can encourage those who are presenting the word in a public manner. Yes, that's uh, well said. Uh, not everybody is the upfront person. No. There are behind-the-scenes people, and they're just as important. The people who prepare the meals, for example, are just as important as the one who does the preaching, because if he didn't eat, well, he wouldn't survive. There's another example in Acts 20, verses 1 to 4, Helen. Yeah, there was an uproar prior to this and um, Paul went to Macedonian Greece and when the uproar was over, Paul sent for the believers and he encouraged them. Then he said goodbye and he left for Macedonia and while there he encouraged the believers in all the towns that he passed through. 
Then he travelled down to Greece where he stayed for three months. He was preparing to sail back to Syria when he discovered a plot by some Jews against his life. So he decided to return through um, Macedonia. And there were several men that were travelling with him and I believe that they represented the churches that Paul had started in Asia. Yes. And they were hard to say names, but there was Paul, of course, and there was Sopato, there was the son of Pyrrhus and from Berea, there was Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, there was Gaius and he was from Derby, there was Timothy, and I always want to pronounce this one as Tychicus, but it's not. Uh, how do you pronounce that one? Tychicus. That's right and Trophimus from the province of Asia. So, I, as I said, I believe these were um, representing the churches that Paul had been through, and uh, there was a giving time. But what I'd also like to make a comment on, that Paul, if you notice, when I first started reading, the uproar was over, Paul sent for believers, and the next thing he says, and encouraged them. And then he said again, he left for Macedonia, and while there he encouraged the believers. I think that's a very important point, and that's part of our work is to encourage one another because unless we encourage each other, some people get very discouraged and they will drop away. But if we are encouraging and uplifting, it makes a difference in people's lives. They encourage people, say, look, you can do it. I think, Glenn, that we, we should realise that, uh, well, let me put it this way. I met somebody once that was so good at sharing um, the Lord and doing um, administrative work in the church that I said to that person, I wish I could put you into a photocopier and duplicate you and send you out to all of the churches and uh, church fellowships so that uh, great good can be done. But, you know, you think about it, that uh, Jesus was trying to duplicate himself um, in, in all of the people that he taught. And I think that small group ministry to me is to um, generate interest amongst each other, learn from each other, and then be able to become um, co-workers to spread the gospel yes. in the most effective manner. We have a story in uh, Acts chapter 12 about when Peter was imprisoned and uh, his miraculous release. Without going through the whole story, and you do well to read this for yourselves, listeners, Acts 12, and uh, Lydia, would you just like to share what happened when Peter got out of the prison and, and what was happening behind the scenes? Yes, Peter was released by uh, an angel um, who told him to wrap his cloak around him and follow him. And uh, he got out of the prison uh, by the angel and uh, he went uh, to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where he found many people that were gathered together and they were praying. So this is a small group that were praying over there, especially for Peter. Yes, right. So where were they? Where were they gathered? In a big church or what? You know, in the house of Mary. Yes, in the home. In so the that home. must have been a reasonably small group. We don't know how many. The Bible doesn't say. You know, the New Testament believers regularly met in homes. 
So my question is, why are Christian homes good places to be centres of influence and the heart of small group ministry? Any comments? Well, let me say that small groups are a vehicle that God uses to grow his church. They are safe havens for people to express their their problems and discuss their mutual concerns. They uh, provide opportunities for spiritual growth in the context of caring relationships, sometimes very difficult in large groups, you see. Many non-Christians, I believe, will, be, will, will initially feel more comfortable in participating in a small group meeting in a home than attending a traditional church service or get lost in a sea of people the first time that they come. And so it's more intimate, I believe, to have a small group of people nurture new believers and also nurture their own faith. And also quickly, just to add to that, um, Will, also when you are meeting in homes, you know, it's a um, different atmosphere. We, Elaine, you mentioned earlier that we live in a very individualistic-oriented society. When... Uh, we are happy to go out to the clubs, you know, to other places, you know, to see or meet people, but we are not as open these days to have our homes open for various reasons. I'm not going to go into this right now, but I believe when you open the house, when you open your home, you are more prepared to be who you are. And you can wear your slippers. I think in a home there is relationship between only a bunch of people, you know, a handful of people, which you can interact with them and uh, grow with them and share your burdens. And uh, you can find encouragement. You can find a, a, a listening ear and you can find warmth. This warmth is missing in our days because people are very individualistic, as we said before. Yes, uh, it's a, definitely a more caring atmosphere where you can um, get to know people very well. Well, I'd just like us to finish off, Helen, about the Apostle Paul, where he did his preaching. And you'll find the answer in Acts 20, verses 19 and 20. Okay, reading from the New Living Translation, Acts 20, 19 and 20, was it? Yes. Yes. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. So Paul not only served humbly, he also served with many tears. He never quit. He never gave up. But I think it was important to see that he never missed an opportunity, whether it was in public or in the homes. Yes, and, yes. you know, he brought people to salvation. And, you know, I, I think that it doesn't matter what the audience is. It doesn't matter where we are. We can testify for Christ. And I think the thing with Paul was he had many tears because he was looking outward. He was concerned about the salvation of other people. And I think this is something we need to take on board in a small group. Always look outward, not inward. If you start looking inward, sadly, the group will fall apart. We need to have an outward vision, and, of course, the outward vision is to encourage and to lead others to Christ. All right. Well, we're going to um, wind up now. And, listeners, 
The Bible provides plenty of examples and evidence of the effectiveness of small groups in ministry and for other reasons. If you feel moved to be an effective soul winner, why don't you call some friends and get together for friendship, but also for witnessing? And for those of you who would like to make new friends and learn about God's holy word, take any opportunity to join a small group, even if you have to contact some of your Adventist friends and ask them if you could visit them and discuss whatever's on your heart. Well, we've come to the end except for the prayer. And I hope this has been helpful for you listeners, that you will be more effective soul winners. And if you're looking, you're looking for meaning in your life, contact somebody you know who is a Christian and you will get a friend and help. And Brenton's going to close with prayer today. Thank you, Brenton. Father in heaven, we thank you for small groups. We thank you that we were not made as individuals. We were made to work together, to share love with others, to share compassion for those less fortunate than ourselves, and to share a vision of a world that needs to know Jesus and the fact that he is coming again soon. Lord, according to the gifts that you have given us, may we, not only as a panel, but may those who are listening recognise God is calling them today to serve him, but to do it in a way in which others can be involved. Help us to see always, Lord, the potential in others, because in seeing the potential in others and encouraging them to develop their God-given gifts, unsurprisingly, we actually develop ourselves. We actually find that the gifts that you have given us explode into new life and new ways of doing things. So we pray that this message, this Bible study, Lord, may sink deep into the hearts of our listeners today. May Jesus be first and foremost, and may we share amongst ourselves and with others the good news that he is coming again soon. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, everyone, uh, for your input today here, uh, our panel, and uh, thank you for joining us. Listeners, I would like to share with you that uh, next time we are going to talk about uh, how to share the beautiful story of Jesus. Today we learn uh, an exciting way of being involved, and let's make friends for God in everything what we do. Until next time, may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus.